Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Sunday night, September 4th, 2022, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Look at how beautiful that is. That's better than anything we could have made. More on that later. Until you have the Sunday night reaction show during the season, you only know half the story of what you just witnessed. We're going to talk about everything under the sun that happened in college football yesterday. Ohio State, Arkansas win, Georgia just threw Oregon in the nearest wood chipper. And we're going to talk about all that. Uh, Florida, for my money, with the game of the day. And for some reason, I'm taking a fair amount of strays from that game. I have no idea why. We will discuss in due time. Every given Saturday tour, week two destination, before we go off the air tonight, we got to get right into it because we got a game kicking off in about an hour. Brooksville, Florida is tuned in. Weatherford, Oklahoma tuned in. Dixon, North Carolina tuned in. And our friends in Montego Bay, Jamaica are tuned in tonight. I just got, I've been in like seven states today. So we just flew back in from Fayetteville. Uh, watched as much as I could on the flights, and I feel ready to go. A lot of you tuned in on the Instagram Live channel over the weekend. You saw the story. You saw Friday Night Lines, which is not available via replay. It's only available if you watch live. I strongly suggest you be following over there on Instagram, at Late Kick Josh. You got a lot of stuff from that game yesterday when we were on the ground in Fayetteville that you did not get. I can assure you on the ESPN broadcast. So thank you for that. Okay, let's dive into this. We've got so many different directions to go. Sundays are our favorite day in our favorite season. Utah and Florida played a classic last night. And Florida ends up pulling this thing out. I got back to my hotel room in time to see the ending of this thing. An odds maker would tell you, for example, that home field advantage, the Swamp, and Anthony Richardson, starting quarterback for Florida, are probably combined worth somewhere between six and seven points in this game. Uh, they're wrong. I'm telling you they're wrong. I think if you got truth serum in Utah, they would also tell you that's incorrect. Now, what I don't know is how many points they're worth, but I can assure you that environment that that crowd created last night and number 15 there, if you're watching, the dynamic that he is as a player, especially in big time moments, worth a whole lot more than a touchdown. And that's why Florida's going to have a shot in pretty much every game they play this year. We did the preview last week, so I didn't have a strong feel. I slightly leaned Utah. I picked Utah to win the game close. Could have gone either way. Don't really care about the prediction. What I did say, though, is if Florida pulls this out, what we could be looking at is a game where the breakdown is as simple as they had Anthony Richardson and Utah didn't. And they had the home field and Utah didn't. And I mean, it's a great game. I strongly encourage you, if you did not see this, please go watch the replay. It's probably the best game we saw yesterday on the big stage. But when you come away from it, tell me you don't say the same thing. 15 was the best player on the field. Wow, he's good. Wow, he looks different. And I'm going to talk about him more in just a second. I did think one kind of interesting note, since these comparisons are going to start to get made anyway, that's the first Florida player with 100 pass yards and three rushing touchdowns in a game since one Timothy Tebow, formerly of Nice High School, more famously of the University of Florida. A lot of talk 
in the DMs. A lot of talk in the live chat already. And thank you for watching, by the way. There's proof I'm talking to you guys. A lot of talk about whether I have regret for not being at this game yesterday. And I'll give you the answer. It's a classic fence riding answer. Yes and no. Yes, I hate that I missed it. But no, I don't regret that we chose to go where we went yesterday because the strategy holds. The strategy is very sound. The strategy is as follows. If Florida wins this game against Utah, they set themselves up to play several more high-profile games, not even down the stretch. It's, it's September. So they, if you look at their schedule, they've got Kentucky this week. Hoops knows if we're going to be at that game. You will by the end of this show. Uh, they've got at Tennessee in a couple of weeks. Director Collin is already starting to talk trash. To who? I don't know. No one else around here is a Florida fan. You've got a game against LSU. you got Georgia. You go to Texas a and they got so many different games that we could get to later in the year. I don't know when we're going to get to go to Fayetteville. I don't know because last year I said I was going to get there and I didn't get there. Anyway, that's not about this game. What I'm saying is it was a classic. I hate that I missed it, but there's not regret. Okay, we don't live in regret. We just live in the, uh, in, we don't live in the rear view. We live in the windshield. We'll find a way to watch Florida this year, especially if they keep playing like they did last night. Uh, the offensive line, if you watched Florida football over the last several years and then you watched them last night, how refreshing is it to see Florida play with an offensive line that you can really bet on, that you can really count on? And it's early in the year, so no one's hurt. So it's the most beautiful version of any team. Uh, they kind of owned the line of scrimmage last night on that side of the ball. I didn't like the pass rush because they didn't get one last night. But Florida's offensive line really handled business in a way that we didn't see them do under Dan Mullen. They, as a team, it's so obvious Here was what I took away aside from just Florida got a big win. Florida's playing for Billy Napier. When he got in there and he pulled some strings and he made everyone happy, I said, that's good for Billy Napier, but it's spring. And then when you heard all the positive things being said about him when recruiting started to pick up, you could still reasonably say that's great, but they haven't teed it up yet. And there was all this positive energy, right? But you get that a lot of times when a new coach is in town. But you find out if it's real when Toe meets Leather in the fall. And Toe met Leather last night. And they looked like they were ready to go over a cliff for him, quite frankly, in a way I never saw him play for Dan Mullen. So Billy Napier, one game in, feels like Florida. Feels like the Florida head coach. There's really not a whole lot of newness. Crazy though that sounds about Billy Napier at Florida because it just looked like he'd been doing it for a long time down there. Looked like those guys were fully invested. And you can also tell that number 15 there at quarterback. I, I find it funny that a lot of folks were talking about him as if he were an unknown commodity yesterday. I was scanning socials. But then I thought to myself, to the casual crowd who believes in the offseason, Anthony Richardson is kind of a new commodity. I mean, just because folks like us have been talking about him for the past over a year now, doesn't mean everyone knows about him. So I guarantee you, with the millions of folks who ended up watching that game, and I'm sure that number escalated rapidly as the fourth quarter went on, a lot of folks saw him for the first time and said, hold on a second, Googled 15 quarterback Florida, Anthony Richardson. I need to know his name. Yeah, you should have already known his name. But yes, friend, welcome to the party. Go take a seat in the back. Yeah, you need to know Anthony Richardson's name. He can change games. Florida could go 7-5 and five this year. They go 10-2 and two this year. He's probably going to be the difference in every single one of them. That's how good he is. He's going to start to draw a lot of comparisons that I don't necessarily care about because he is who he is. Uh, he is capable of doing some things that not many people who play his position can do. And you've got to account for him, obviously, in all facets of the game. So Florida sets themselves up now. 
You get to breathe a little sigh of relief on a Sunday, but then you got Kentucky coming in. Early line on that game is Florida by about three to three and a half. It's going to be a tight game, going to be another four-quarter game, or at least that's the odds maker's expectation. I, I thought this one was a classic. I mean, it's everything that you could ask for in college football. It wasn't played in a neutral site. Take that game. Put it in Atlanta. Put it in Jacksonville. Put it in Houston. Does it feel the same? Still, still a college football game. Does it feel the same? Of course not. Which is what my next point is. Hats off to Utah. Uh, a lot of folks were hitting me up because I had Utah in the playoff. And, um, you know, the, the, the sure mark of a coward is one who does not put their own predictions out there. They just feel the need to come in with the benefit of hindsight and talk about yours. I don't have any regret picking Utah to win the game. They played a heck of a game. They're a very good team. How in, the, how in the world are we about to praise Florida and then knock Utah? If you knock Utah, you don't have anything to praise Florida about. Florida beat a really good football team last night. And you know what the case is today? Utah's still a really good football team. It's a testament to Billy Napier and his staff that they were able to do that. Here's what you very well could have been saying today. In fact, I'd go as far as to say, in a typical situation, here's what you should have expected to be saying. You should have expected to be saying, with a staff as tenured and veteran as Utah's, man, that Florida staff just kind of got outcoached. That's okay. They'll be better down the road. For instance, the kind of stuff you're saying about Oregon's coaching staff today, you very well could have found yourself saying about Florida's coaching staff. Everything's new, and you're facing a well-established, well-oiled machine, and instead, they didn't get outcoached at all. There was none of that. There wasn't a whiff of that. Uh, were there mistakes? Sure. Uh, they have that in common with every team that played yesterday. But man, at least for the first night, at least for the debut performance, Florida looked really good. And I'll tell you another thing. It's, it's easy to say this when you haven't incurred a lot of injury, but it, they didn't look deficient. You know, if that makes sense, there were, there were a lot of concerns that, oh, what about this position? What about that position? No, nope. I mean, pass rush could use some work. I know that you can nitpick. I know our buddies over on Swamp 24-7 could probably do that for us. Uh, but, man, they're pretty euphoric about this win, too. You should be. And all I'll say on the other side is Utah, who had problems even getting out of Gainesville last night. I think they had a plane issue that kept them until sunrise at the earliest. I don't even know if they ever got out of there. Uh, but I credit them. I uh, don't know who they play next. Pray for them in advance. But I credit them. They could have just as easily scheduled a directional school yesterday, uh, put up 49 on them, and then said, all right, we're 1-0, we're Pac-12 favorites, we're still a favorite to go to the playoff. Because they played a good team on the road and barely lost, it doesn't change my opinion they're a good team. So I don't, really, I don't really have a negative to take away either side of this. It was a really good game. It was a, it was a kind of anticlimactic thing for me to watch it in the middle of a flight because I couldn't really say anything because I'm not the kind of guy who talks on a plane with his earphones on. But... I'm pretty sure I saw some necks craning over to look at my screen, so I don't think I was the only one entertained by that. Congratulations to Florida, and then they get ready for Kentucky this week. They've got several big ones like we just showed you. What is this thing over my shoulder? It's so blue, and it's so beautiful. And if you're listening on podcasts, none of this makes sense. Here's what has happened, friends. Academy Sports and Outdoors and Late Kick have entered into a new and even more elevated partnership. They are now the presenting sponsor for this show, so no longer... Is it just Late Kick Live with Josh Pate? It is Late Kick Live with Josh Pate presented by Academy Sports and Outdoors. It may sound like semantics to you, and it may just look like one cool little blue graphic over here. Trust me, it's a game changer in our world. When you use those words, that phrase presenting sponsor, number one, it means 
Jesse doesn't have to stand on the street corner and sell soup anymore. Number two, it means that is a very, very reputable big-time brand that has fully invested in this show. And this show is only two and a half years old. So that's a rare thing this day and age. Believe me, it's very rare. And we appreciate them. I was in Fayetteville yesterday. I had a pocket full of Academy Sports and Outdoors gift cards. I think I handed about, mm, let's say approximately a million of them out, give or take a few hundred. And everyone went home happy. And that will be the case wherever we go this Saturday. Academy Sports and Outdoors, of course, is your one-stop shop, as we like to say, for everything you need in life. But if you really want to narrow it down, you can get everything from a hunting license there to a fishing lure there to a baseball bat there. It's great. I just, you just walk around in there and not even buy anything. You just feel at home. We do. I know that. So if you can't get there in person, academy.com, you've got access to the internet. And judging by the fact that you're watching this, you do. Academy.com can also be your hookup. Big thanks to Academy Sports and Outdoors. Now our presenting sponsorship. We were just very, very seriously dating. We're married. We tied the knot with Academy. Hoops to the thunk it, right? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Let's continue on this uh, first week one reaction show. These are a lot of fun. And it makes you kind of nervous when you know it's not over yet. We've got LSU and FSU kicking off in about uh, 40 minutes or so. So we're, we're being very cognizant of that. And also a lot of caffeine is making sure that the tempo stays up. Ohio State 21, Notre Dame 10. Did you think that would be a halftime score? Maybe. Nope. That's the final score yesterday. Ohio State, let's paint the picture. If those of you who were not tuned in last week, let me paint the picture for you. Because uh, we did it one time, we'll do it again. So Ohio State comes into this thing, right? And they're favored by a 17, even though the AP is telling you that Notre Dame is a top five team. And that created just this perfect storm of potential stupidity. And what we saw is Ohio State win the game, but they didn't quite win it by that amount that showed up on your ticker, on your sports book and whatnot. So Ohio State's favored by 17. They win, they don't cover, and we had the perfect confluence of events. And who could have seen it coming? Roll it. The conversation around this game has a chance to be all-time stupid. If Notre Dame loses this game, but it's close, here's how this will go. You go into the game and you got a bunch of people saying Notre Dame's overrated, Ohio State by 90, and then Ohio State wins the game, but they win it by eight. And then you've got a crowd that says, never mind, these are frauds, Buckeyes going nowhere further than the Big Ten, if even the Big Ten championship game. And that same crowd that starts dragging Ohio State for no good reason other than winning a big-time football game will simultaneously tell you, 
But also, Notre Dame's still a choke artist in big moments. They're still overrated. Even though no one rates them above Ohio State, therefore, if they lose to them close, it should actually be a feather in their cap. You will have some really fantastically stupid conversation if Notre Dame's competitive in this game, but then loses. It's as sure as the sun rising tomorrow. Why do I know this? Because we've seen it happen with them before. Yeah, so uh, the moral of the story is you are not wasting your time watching this show. Ohio State wins. They have to pull away late. Wasn't an 11-point game until late in the fourth quarter. And so what did we get? We got a perfect mixture on social of Ohio State is a shell of what I thought they were. Notre Dame, however, trash, totally overrated. And it's, it's like I'm watching a fever dream, if you can watch such things. Um, let me tell you where I am with this. I got to watch a good chunk of this live, and I watched the rest of it this morning. First, my first bit of advice to you guys is keep your mouth shut until the game's over. I had a bunch of you coming at me like Notre Dame was about to win the game. Say, where are you at now? Well, I'm sitting here watching a game that's midway through the fourth quarter, fool. So Ohio State ends up winning the game by double digits over your number five team in America. Now, we had them ranked 14th, a rated 14th, uh, and we will give a new JP poll Tuesday. But over four quarters, I saw this game so much different than most people did, apparently. Because what I look at in a vacuum is the defensive performance. And I know in my heart of hearts, if you came to me Friday and you said, hey, that Notre Dame-Ohio State game, yeah, what about it? Um, Notre Dame's going to score 10 points. What do you think about that? I would have thought, yep, that's a slam dunk national championship contender there in Columbus, Ohio. And then they do. And people complain anyway. What are they complaining about? Well, certainly not defense, but this is a complimentary game. And the other thing that I want to remind you is you get drunk and you get amnesia every single summer. Those of you who participate in the offseason, you allow preview magazines to convince you that robots play this game. We don't have a preseason, and these dudes are 19 and 20 years old, and some of them just left for the NFL last year, and new ones take their place. This is what real football looks like. Same thing happened in the Cincinnati-Arkansas game yesterday. Everything didn't flow perfectly. All those little lines on a play sheet didn't go exactly how it was supposed to, and your wins and losses look so pretty in the preseason, and then it comes game time, and things don't flow. It's a little clunky. That's football, man. There are 22 moving pieces per play. Occasionally, things get sideways, and occasionally, it just doesn't work out how you think it should work out. Also, the other team's got really good players, too, and they're allowed to try. So what happened yesterday is I'm looking at it, and I'm saying, I cannot believe Jim Knowles made this big a difference at defensive coordinator for Ohio State this quickly. Last year, they had all the offense in the world, and we kept waiting for the defense, kept waiting for the defense, kept waiting for the defense. Let me tell you where I'm totally comfortable with Ohio State. I'm totally comfortable with them playing top-notch defense and waiting for offense to come around. Because when I got the pieces that I got on that offense, and I got the dude pulling the trigger over there on the sideline, and Ryan Day, who I know he's a proven commodity, can get it done, I'll be happy to wait for the offense if I know I got the defense at Ohio State. Anyone who looked at them yesterday and thinks that's going to be the offensive product they're trotting out on the field in November is high on bath salts. Here's what will happen. Since we had to be prophetic 1.0, let's go ahead and add the 2.0. Come early November, the same crowd writing them off is going to be all the way back in on Scarlet and Gray Kool-Aid, and they'll be saying something like this. If this Ohio State team played that Notre Dame team they played in week one with this offense now, 
They beat them by 35. And you may be right, because I think there's coming, eventually in this year, a point in time where Ohio State looks pretty scary. Because I, I know you'll have a more dynamic offense down the road maybe to face than Notre Dame, and maybe someone will test you more. But if you didn't see night and day difference defensively from them yesterday, then at any point in the last couple of years, there is no other explanation other than you have not watched Ohio State. I watch virtually every game they play uh, with anyone with a pulse on the other side of the field. Totally different team, which always amazes me. It amazes me that you can have a lot of the same players at this level now. You can have a lot of the same players and the difference in bringing in one guy and then letting him assemble his staff. But really, one guy spearheading a difference. They haven't played a football game since last year, guys. They had a spring game. And they had spring practices, and they had summer conditioning, which the coaches are barely participating in, and then they have fall camp. There's that big a difference already, which shows you what Mike Gundy had stowed away in Stillwater, Oklahoma all these years. So yeah, Jim Knowles validated himself uh, through one week. That's a, a Broyles Award candidate there, if I've ever seen one. I would be strongly encouraged if I were an Ohio State fan. I, I'd be encouraged if I were Notre Dame. What you saw from Notre Dame is what you've seen many times in this spot. You've seen them be more competitive maybe than the point spread says they should. Uh, but whether they cover or not, you've seen them be competitive before. Like you've seen physically them match up, but then ultimately what's the story? They don't have the skill on the perimeter. They don't have the dynamic quarterback play. And so while they, they're good athletically, 1-85, to 85, there are those specific stars on the roster they don't have. And they can't sustain for four quarters. It's no different than you saw last night. So you've got a good team with a ceiling on it that is too low to beat a team like Ohio State unless Ohio State does them favors. But, I mean, I look at Notre Dame, and I've said since the beginning of the season, now we're only one weekend, and I'll continue to reiterate, if this team right here wins nine games this year, and they couple that with the kind of recruiting class that Marcus Freeman is putting together, they're going to be fine, they're going to be fine, they're going to be fine. Now, I don't know with that collection, ultimately how high I'll expect them to climb this year, but I mean, I, th I thought they represented themselves very well. I've already seen people try to, try to paint trends with Marcus Freeman. The guy's been a head coach there for two games. One of them was a bowl game. And you're already talking about how he struggles in second halves. Okay. Uh, personally, I'm going to need a little more than a two-game sample size there, but that's fine. Third down last night, I think, decided this game. Ohio State, 7 of 13. Notre Dame, 3 of 13. Total plays as a result, Notre Dame, 48 total plays. Ohio State, 69 total plays. Nice. Uh, it's, it's a game of extremes sometimes. And especially, you know, when you're only running 48 plays, a couple more third down conversions. In a very close game, one possession game, I mean, Notre Dame had the lead in this thing in the second half. Uh, that's what makes the difference. But I'll tell you what Notre Dame does have to improve on. If they're going to reach that nine-win or ten-win type season, they can't be running the ball for 2.5 yards per carry. They had, what, 30 carries last night for 76 yards. When you've got a new quarterback and one who does not have that dynamic presence like maybe an Anthony Richardson does, you've got to be able to run the ball. And they really couldn't last night. And that is yet another tip of the cap to Jim Knowles and the Ohio State defense. Uh, this team right here, this team in Columbus, Ohio, you saw their starting point. That's what I believe. You saw their entry point to the 2022 season. As Meemaw said many times, a foolish man draws conclusions in week one, 
A wise man makes observations in week one. Thank you, Mima. I couldn't have said it better myself. I need to update you on something that's over now. The auction for St. Jude's children's cancer research that we were doing uh, had a flurry, kind of, kind of a race to the finish Saturday. Uh, the auction was for, get this, a 30-minute Zoom chat with me. Moving pictures and everything. What do you think someone bid on that? Originally, we wanted to go over $1,000, then we hit that. Uh, it closed at $1,800. Someone out there, management has not told me whomst it is, even though management's in the building right now, or it was when the show started. $1,800. Someone out there is going to talk to me, and Jesse, get stats and info to determine how many dollars that is per minute. It's for a very good cause. That, I can assure you, that money's not going to us. That money's going to St. Jude's children's cancer research. So thank you guys, because we had a lot of bids on that. A lot of you participated. Our audience always steps up. Anytime we do anything, we've never done something quite like that, but anytime we've got someone in need or we've got a good cause, you guys always step up. I had no doubt about that. I just didn't know quite how high you would go. So as usual, you over, I underestimated you and you over-delivered. Where were we yesterday? We were in Fayetteville, Arkansas. The Every Given Saturday Tour 1.0 took us to Fayetteville, Arkansas for Cincinnati versus Arkansas yesterday. And it's in contention for the best trip we've ever taken. I'll talk about that more on the back end. Let's talk about the game first. Arkansas ends up winning this thing 31 to 24. I think the venue determined the outcome of this game. Trey Biddy and I, I got on walk and talk, by the way. Those of you around Arkansas know exactly how significant that is. And those of you who don't, just search Trey Biddy Walk and Talk on YouTube. I was the first guest ever on Walk and Talk. And so Biddy and I are walking around an empty uh, Reynolds Razorback Stadium last night. And I said, uh, Biddy, I think, I think the venue determined this game today. I was on the field yesterday. You know me. I'll take the sunburn. Get me out of the press box. Put me on the field. And there were so many times, those of you who watched the game know what I'm talking about. There were so many times. Forget the overthrows. That's lack of execution on the offense's part for Cincinnati. And we can talk about that in a second. But, man, there were several times down in plus territory, down in the red zone, where Arkansas's crowd made it impossible for Cincinnati to function. Uh, they also backed them out of field goal territory another time. It was a factor all day. I mean, I was over there close to the Cincinnati uh, bench a couple of times. Chaos. And, and you know good and well they've worked on it. You know good and well they've piped in crowd noise. That's kind of like... Utah trying to get themselves ready for humidity. You can do all you want to. You can only somewhat prepare for it. And especially if you've got a new quarterback starting, there's only so much you can do to prepare that guy because there's only so much simulation that you can do relative to what a real-life football game's like. Well, Cincinnati played in a real-life football game yesterday, and they had trouble. So much so that Arkansas ended up winning this thing by seven. I'll just say it like this. I think there were more than seven points worth of impact put on this game by that Arkansas crowd. And it was hot yesterday, and this was in the middle of the afternoon, and so I credit you guys, because uh, that was a memorable experience for me, a forgettable experience for Cincinnati because of you. The feedback, though, is what I want to talk about. From our own Arkansas brethren, some of them, the feedback I got was a very mixed bag about your own team. So I... You know, I, I knew that there was going to be some unhappiness because, like I said with Ohio State, I knew there was going to be a little unhappiness amongst Arkansas Nation because everything didn't look fluid. And again, forget the amnesia that sets in over the summer. This, not your preview magazine, this is what real football looks like. 
when you're playing with college kids and you don't have preseason games. That's what it looks like. You've got special teams iffy at best. You've got turnovers. You've got injuries. You've got cramping. And you've got just a lack of execution. You've got, you got firing and missing. And that happens with a lot of teams in week one. Arkansas was no different. There was a time not too long ago where they would have dropped this game by three scores. Instead, they won yesterday, and that just signifies the elevation of the program overall. But what do we say? What did Meemaw say? Let's repeat it again. Wise men make observations in week one. Foolish men draw conclusions in week one. I had a lot of folks on the eye, Josh. You know who you are, who were telling me Arkansas looks like the fourth best team in the West. At best, fourth best team. How do you know, friend? First off, you probably haven't even watched all the Western Division teams play yet. Secondly, how do you know the Arkansas you saw yesterday is going to be the one you see when they play Texas A&M in late September or when they play at Auburn in late October? You don't. You don't, you don't know what any teams are going to look like because I can't remember the last team that looked the exact same in late October and early November as they did in week one. Now, you can get worse. You could also get better. I don't know that many of them stay the same. So let's just, let's make observations. Observation was a clunky game yesterday and Arkansas ends up getting the win anyway. That's just how college football works. Arkansas threw it 18 times yesterday. And I think early on, I talked to Kendall Bryles after the game. Wasn't about his offensive game plan. I suspect that Kendall Bryles probably wanted to throw that ball a little more a little earlier on and they they completed a pass to Landers to start the first drive and then ended up with an incompletion and Cincinnati got the ball and they went on a drive that feels like forever even though they didn't score it started to tilt that game a little bit and you start thinking to yourself here's what we can't have in this heat in week one I can't have that road team over there with a plus 20 plays run advantage on us in our own building at halftime because we're planning on turning these factors and turning our size advantage against them in the second half. Well, we can't do that if we've never been on the field and we hadn't been able to lean on them enough. So they started to run the ball a little more. Uh, they ran the ball okay by Arkansas standards. I don't think they ran the ball as well as they will end up running it when a lot of those pieces fall into place. I watched their offense yesterday. I think there's a different gear to the Arkansas offense is what I'm telling you. And I think that over time, you'll see that kind of coalesce into something that's a little more balanced in terms of play calling. I don't think they'll tilt as heavy into the run, ironic though it may be because I got a good ground game, as they did yesterday. Because I think they know when they watch their defense, a little leaky on the back end, could have been much leakier on the scoreboard on the back end. When they watch their team overall, I think they know they're going to have to score a little bit more maybe than they did yesterday uh, down the road. So I still believe there's a second gear for them. But I will say this. There was a time in this game, K.J. Jefferson comes through for them exactly like Richardson did in the end for Florida. 31-24, Arkansas with the lead. Fourth quarter, since he has just pulled to within seven. There is 4.30 left on the clock. It's third and nine. And they know exactly like Billy Napier and that Florida staff. They know they got a guy at quarterback who they can look at and say, make it happen. And he did. K.J. Jefferson made it happen on third and nine. He gets the first down. They extend the drive. Cincinnati never touches the ball again. They bled the final five minutes off the clock in a one-possession game yesterday. Now, I didn't see Sam Pittman smile a whole lot after the game, kind of that euphoric smile, or maybe a, a grin every now and then. But one euphoric smile that came over his face was when he talked about that final drive, especially as an O-line coach. That, that stuff is, um, 
sort of erotic in a way. I think that's the word that I've heard him use before. It's kind of erotic to bleed that final five minutes off the clock and they can't do anything about it. Transfers are another key facet that decided this game for Arkansas. I mean, Jordan Dominic had a strip sack late in that game. Uh, Dwight McLaughlin had a big pick for him. He came in there from LSU. Drew Sanders from Alabama had a sack for him. Landon Jackson had a sack. All those guys are integral parts of this team, and all those guys are playing positions that in a bygone era, Arkansas would have had to start from scratch at. They would have had to go in recruiting and probably get a guy that did not have a committable offer from Bama, and they would have had to take a couple of years and develop him, and then as a junior, he'd finally be on the field. It's not the way it is there anymore. And that's why you should not automatically just expect this dip only because they had a good season the year before. That's not the way it's going to work anymore. Now, here's the flip side of that coin. Success is not a continuum. Success is not something that just because you had nine wins last year, okay, that's our starting point this year. You start at zero again. To make that very clear, that's how expectations get out of whack. You win nine games, you start at zero the next year. You don't get to carry it over. Now, what you can do is you can carry a lot of the principles and a lot of the characteristics and identity over and hope that that is duplicated. And then maybe your outcome's a little better because you built inch by inch in those departments, but you don't carry anything over. And hey, that message is for a lot of folks out there, a lot of teams out there, not just Arkansas. But I look at them, the way they're being able to recruit, the way they're being able to leverage the portal, they got the toughest schedule in the country or one of the toughest schedules in the country. They don't hide from that. I don't think they're going anywhere, though. Um, but they'll be competitive in every game they play. I think they will, much like Ohio State, use this game as an entry point to 2022. And then I think by the time Arkansas is in mid-October, I think they'll look back and Arkansas will say, you know, if we could get Cincinnati again this week, I think we'd win that game pretty comfortably. As for Cincinnati, they lost a game yesterday. I thought it was one of the biggest validation moments so far for Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. Now, this is not anything he'd be interested in hearing, and I'm sure he's tuned in right now. I'd mute it if I were you, Coach. It was a huge validation point. Even though they lost the football game, I want you to think about how atypical it is, or, or how maybe unprecedented it is, now that I think about it, for a G5-level program to be able to Lose the amount of talent they did to the draft. Okay, first, no G5 program ever sends that amount of talent to the draft. They lost quarterback. They lost their entire secondary. They lost a ton of guys to the draft. Not only did they do that, they start new quarterback on the road in the backyard of a team that has about as much hype behind it as any team in the SEC, not named Bama or Georgia this year. And they come in there with expectation. This wasn't a huge point spread. It was a six and a half point line when the game kicked off. And they made every kind of mistake you could make yesterday. I mean, if you watch the game, you know how many opportunities they left on the field with overthrows. Uh, they had turnovers, which is part of the game. I get all that. But with all of those things, all of the procedural errors going wrong, they still had a chance to win this thing in the fourth quarter. That, even in a loss, is such a testament to how good that coaching staff is and how good they are at evaluating, how good they are at developing, at getting a team, here's how I put it, getting a team as ready as you reasonably should be expected to get a team to play. They probably think they did a terrible job yesterday because they look at all the errors and all the flaws and their, their standard is perfection. Their standard is to play a perfect game as it should be. I don't have to have that standard for them because I just sit behind a microphone. So I have a little bit more realistic view. And my realistic view of the Cincinnati program is 
You ought to be really proud of what you did yesterday. Not happy, not content, but you ought to be proud at how you represented yourself because now think about that. The expectation for Cincinnati football is even if you lose a ton of talent, we just blindly believe in that Bearcat logo enough. We're going to put you as a six and a half point dog on the road in the SEC. Have at it. Fayetteville, Arkansas was amazing. This may be the best trip we've ever taken on any tour since I've done this show. We have never, I mean, never been received like we were there yesterday. It's easily into the hundreds. It may be closer to a thousand. The amount of people who came up and said, hey, love the show. Can I take a picture? Can I get an Academy gift card? I mean, we handed so many of those things out yesterday. But whether it was 10 people or a thousand people you talked to, every one of them, same message. Every one of them reading from the same playbook. I, I was over at the facility Friday. They let me get a workout in there. I appreciate that. I uh, took an entire tour of the facilities. Every staffer you talk to, whether it's football operations, nutrition, strength and conditioning, coordinators, players, it's almost robotic. I mean, they're very different people, but it's almost robotic because there's such synergy in the program. And I was talking to Jamil Walker, who's the strength and conditioning coach there, and I said, You've been at Georgia, and now you came here. Like, you get it. You've been in places where you've seen it done the right way. But foolishly, a lot of people who have not been inside the walls of a football department, they think that stuff just happens. It doesn't happen. In fact, it doesn't happen. It's not happening at most places. It is happening at Arkansas. That's why they're so happy, and that's why they're so elated. And it happens to be spearheaded by a guy who is essentially them, he just wears a headset on Saturday and you know, makes a few million more dollars than you ever will in your life. But Sam Pittman's the, the perfect case study for what's unique about college football. I mean, what they've got going on in Fayetteville, you'd never find that in pro football. I've got no problem with pro football. I'm just saying I love this sport and like the Sunday sport because you get stuff in the Saturday game you can never get in the Sunday game. You can never get what you have going on in Northwest Arkansas with the Jets or with the Chargers. So you give me what they got in Northwest Arkansas eight days out of the week, I'll take it. Wright's Barbecue, appreciate you guys so much. Everybody, everybody up there made sure that we were taken care of well above and beyond what we deserve. So I needed to see it for myself. We had never been to a game at Arkansas. I saw it, and not that I already didn't buy in, but it's really easy. I wish I could take some of you guys, you know, some, some of my buddies who have also never been up there. So how about we judge a book by its cover instead of never opening it up? I wish I could take you guys up there. I've talked to management. They will not fund the trip. And I know good and well you guys are too cheap to do it yourself. I wish I could take you up there. Everything those folks think about themselves is validated. if You just spend a few days up there. So, I mean, huge hats off to everybody in and around Fayetteville, Rogers, Bentonville, Springdale, all those folks up there. We appreciate it so much. Also, one of the, one of the most unique little airports. It's in the middle of nowhere, man. Like, I grew up in Harris County in West Central Georgia. There's, there's a Kegels. It's where they just murder chickens all day. And then I eat them. Don't think I'm one of those folks. Uh, but other than that, there's not really much in Harris County. That's kind of like driving around rural Arkansas, except, oh, look, there's a big airport. Cool. That's what having Tyson and J.D. Hunt and Walmart in your backyard will do. Hey, do me a favor. Since we've got over 4,500 people watching live, do your civic duty and like the video. You don't even have to vote. Just like the video. Click that little thumbs up. And Jesse will stop typing, tell the people to like the video on the teleprompter. All right. Let, oh, boy. It's that time of the show, Colin. <sighs> let me gather my thoughts. Let me gather my emotions. I know what I think about this. Let me gather my emotions. Okay. There was another game yesterday 
Yeah, featuring two ranked teams, not rated. One of these teams was not rated in the JP poll. Colin, here's where I want you to endpoint the video. Georgia did all kinds of unspeakably evil things to Oregon yesterday. And there's a certain tone that we like to take when games get this out of whack. And we really probably just need to take it to the next level this year. Colin, go ahead and give it to me. This was pure violence in Atlanta, Georgia yesterday. And for those of you who allowed your children to continue to watch this game after you saw what was unfolding, I'm not here to tell anyone how it's to parent, but shame on you. This was what we call a Sarah McLaughlin special. You've seen those pet abuse commercials. You've heard that sad, soft piano music in the background. If I were broadcasting this game, if I were in the producer's chair, that would have been the sound bed. From about the second Georgia drive on, it was a TVMA bloodbath. It was a wood chipper. That's what it was that Oregon got thrown into. So I am not watching the game live. I am in the unique position where I see score updates, but I don't get to see the game live. And I've watched it since. If you have not watched this replay, let me save you some time. Any of you out there who have seen Jurassic Park and you've seen that scene where you first get introduced to the Velociraptors and the way you get introduced to the Velociraptors is because they take that cow and they drop it into the Velociraptor cage. That was this game yesterday. Terrible. What Jeff Goldblum looked like watching those raptors tear apart that cow in like 13 seconds flat, I looked like on a plane with my earphones on watching this, this disaster in Atlanta. It was really bad. Probably a lot worse than it should be. It was really bad. So like I was telling you, I'm seeing the score, but I cannot watch the game because I'm at the Arkansas game yesterday. So instead, I'm just getting score updates. So you can imagine my surprise when I go back and I look at the box score and I say, all right, let's see, let's see. They probably ran for half a mile, didn't they? Nope. Georgia's leading rusher had, uh, what, less than 50 yards, I think it was. So then you ask, what did Oregon turn the ball over nine times? No, no. What happened is I saw Rusty Manziel over on Dogs 24-7, or as the streets would call him, Coach Rusty. And he made the point that I'm about to make. I'm not going to go as far as Sam stealing it, but I kind of am. Uh, that was a wake-up call. That was a little bit of a message. That was a recruiting tool as much as a football game for Georgia yesterday. See, there's been talk kind of behind the scenes. A lot of fans say it, too, over the last couple of years. Georgia, they play good defense. They run the ball. But if you're a receiver, you got to get out of there on the first thing smoking. you got to take the Jermaine Burton route. And, and he looked pretty good at Alabama yesterday because you're not going to have your talents fully utilized. Well, even though they're coming off a national championship, I, I think Kirby Smart looks around and he knows how unique that situation was he had last year. He had a generational defense. Uh, he played an Alabama team that beat him the first time around because they had those kind of athletes that they took advantage of at wide receiver in the SEC title game. Then they didn't have him anymore in the second half of the national title game. I'm not trying to take anything away. You won the national title. But I think moving forward, what Kirby said is, we've got to have those and we've got to use them. We can't just get them and not use them. We can't have ours go elsewhere and do way better there than they were here because that just validates everything negative that people say about us on the recruiting trail. They're not going to be able to say many things negative about us. That's what they're going to hone in on. So yesterday, Kirby Smart saw fit to just rain it all over Oregon because they pretty much knew they could win this game however they wanted to. And uh, afterwards, Kirby Smart was not shy about what he told Dan Lanning. He said, Dan knows 
he said, Dan will never say it out loud, but Dan knows we got better players than they do. I mean, imagine. Some people call that athletic arrogance. I call it the truth. Imagine being so secure and being so unthreatened by a team the AP has ranked top 15. Couldn't be the JP. The AP has ranked top 15 that you just sit there post-game like you're, like you're with your papaw on the porch down in Bainbridge and you say, well, yeah, we beat them, but their players aren't as good as ours. I mean, what do you expect, papaw? Come on now. They, they, they kind of suck compared to us, at least. I don't think Oregon sucks. Here's the problem. Uh, Oregon, Oregon was out-athleted yesterday. Uh, the gap athletically between Georgia and Oregon is not seven touchdowns, friends, or six touchdowns or five touchdowns. That's not the gap. The line on that game was big, but by big, I mean about 17. That's the kind of gap you're looking at. The problem for Oregon is something else entered the equation, and it was the fact that that staff in Athens kind of worked that staff in Eugene. Now, that's not a shocker because that staff in Eugene is brand new. And it's to be expected when you go up against one of the best in the country, a machine moving at full speed, and you're starting from scratch, and you've never done it before. I know everyone wants to throw acid all over this thing and, and completely forget any hope after you see this one example uh, kind of borne out on national TV. That didn't help. But this is kind of what happens. Uh, they call it baptism by fire, and that's exactly what it was yesterday. Oregon will probably be better for this down the road. I know it doesn't feel good right now, but I'll get to Oregon in a second. I got a couple of thoughts on them. There were padlock stats everywhere in this game. For those of you who are new to this show, the padlock stat is just the one stat where if I showed it to you on Friday, you'd know how the game was going to end. You didn't need to watch it. Well, they're all over the place. Every bit of the box score is a padlock stat. So I just look and I say, if you told me Friday Georgia was going to have Nine yards per play? Per play. They average nearly a first down every time they snap the ball. Yeah, I'd probably feel pretty good about putting my money on Georgia. There are no guarantees with this team. So let me be real for a second. I, I, know, it's, I know it's all fun and games down in my home state today to laugh about what happened yesterday because it was a splattering in every sense of the word. There was just Oregon all over the place yesterday in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It reminded me of Bama opening against Miami. I think that was last year. Bama just painted the walls with Miami's blood last year. And you looked at them and you said, that team's unbeatable. Well, they were unbeatable that day. A lot of twists and turns to a season. I mean, you can have a lot of injuries. You can have cracks on your team that maybe your week one opponent wasn't built to expose, but someone else down the road can. Football does not work like a lot of people would suggest it works yesterday, where, all right, let's skip to the national title. We already know who's going to play. No, you don't. No, you don't. You got favorites, and if you want to try and chart that after week one, be my guest. Georgia's starting at a really high level. Okay, This is not me trying to knock them at all. It's quite the opposite when you see where I'm going with this. But it reminded me of the way Bama opened against Miami. And then Bama, I mean, they were a very good team. They probably got a little bit inflated because you watch what they do. You watch what Georgia did yesterday. And you just think to yourself, even if they're only 80% of what we're seeing today, isn't that still good enough to beat everyone? Well, that's also not how football works. Uh, but like I said, a lot of twists and turns. Here's what I took away. This team's really good. This Georgia team's really good. Probably great. That remains to be seen, though. We get the season to determine that. I just want to remind you of the rarefied air that this Georgia program is in. They just came off a national championship. And there are only about two or three programs in America, sometimes only one at a time, 
where you look and you say, that team doesn't have to rebuild, they can just reload. You know how hard it is to get your program there? And Kirby Smart's got his program there. And unlike Nick Saban at Alabama, who finally figured out the way to do that after a long time of perfecting that process of his, this is the first job Kirby's ever had at the head coaching level. Now, he's several years in now, and he got to learn under the very best to ever do it. But still, a lot of guys coached under Nick Saban and went and crashed and burned fantastically on their own. And Kirby Smart, after one year of getting his feet under him, has never looked back. And they've gotten better and better and better. And now they've got a program to where you win a national championship And if you didn't know better, you would suggest complacency may set in. There's a reason we didn't talk about that at all with this team. Or if we did, it was me saying they're not going to have complacency concerns. It's because, well, number one, I've got a fairly good read on the program. And number two, I know how they operate. It's the same way Bama operates. They're just immune to some of the issues that affect normal programs. Now, they do not have immunity from the consequences of success. There are some things that Georgia has to deal with that you'll never have to deal with because they're that good. So they're, they're a different little bag of issues, but complacency is not one of them. Number one, because hardly anyone talked about them all summer because there were so many other off-field issues going on. Not there, but in general. And number two, you can't afford to get complacent there because of what happens in practice every day, which is never seen by the public, so you kind of conveniently forget about it Those guys can't get complacent. It doesn't matter what they did last year. They'll get their job taken. Hey, you see that that Starks kid yesterday? Malachi Starks. Anyone text you that name yesterday? Folks around Georgia have known about him for a while. Uh, He's one of the best athletes they have on their team right now. He's a true freshman. You saw him flash yesterday on your screen. He will end up being a top five draft pick, top 10 draft pick when all said and done. I'm saying that about him, and he has not played... Well, he's played one game so far, and, and I don't think started yesterday. No, he didn't start. Uh, he, is, he is just an example of the kind of alien they have on their roster that you've never heard of before, and that guy is at practice every day, so I don't really care if you started last year. If you have the slightest inkling of complacency in your bones, Kirby Smart just keeps bringing guys like Malachi Starks in, and so you can either get complacent or you can do yourself a favor and look at the locker next to you and say, what is that? A true fr- a freshman. Yeah. So I don't really, I don't worry about complacency with Bama anymore. I don't worry about it with them anymore. Uh, they are very good. Okay. That's what we know about them now. Uh, we know that Alabama's really good. We will find out whether these teams are great in due time, but you know what was on display yesterday? A good old fashioned freeze point special. The freeze point, it's the first time we've broken it out this year. We only talk about it with the most elite teams. We use it frequently with Bama. We we will use it with Georgia. Ohio State some years, Clemson some years, we use it. And that is the conversation that when those teams are at their best, there are only two or three or four teams even capable of playing with them. The same way that if you have a cup of water here, I'll use this coffee. If you have water and you put it in a room and it's 36 degrees, it doesn't matter if you leave it in there a day or a year, it's not going to freeze. 34 degrees, 33 degrees, 32.8 degrees. It's not going to freeze. There's a freeze point. It's 32.4 degrees Fahrenheit. And only when you get it at that number or lower do you stand a chance of that liquid freezing. Now, the question becomes, how much below 32.4 can you go? Because then it'll freeze quicker. 
In college football, there's a level of play. There's a level of athleticism, coaching, and overall caliber of play that you have to possess to stand a chance against that team, Georgia, against Bama, and mainly in big-time games. I'm not talking about catching them napping, which you rarely do, but in playoff games, when you have their full focus, there's a level that you have to have that hardly anyone has. And Oregon did not have the requisite freeze point yesterday. And so what you saw is the natural byproduct of when you get that team's attention for a solid four months and you don't meet the freeze point, there is no limit to the amount of atrocities they can commit against you. And they could have made it a lot worse if they wanted to yesterday. So the other thing that I have to point out with Oregon is I think it's noteworthy that even as bad as it got yesterday, you did not see Ty Thompson at quarterback at all. Um, I've been of the camp that it's a little bit laughable how secretive people are with their depth charts. You know, at Oregon, uh, this was an example. They were very secretive about who's going to start at quarterback up there. Well, it wasn't a secret. Everyone knew Bo Nix was going to start. Ty Thompson did not get in this game yesterday. And that is now two coaching staffs where we've seen them unwilling to play him no matter how dire the situation looks. That tells you everything you need to know about his development. I'm not there. I'm not at practice. I don't know a thing about it. I just know the, the lack of decision to put him in games, especially one as ugly as yesterday when you could have gotten him work if you trust him at all to be on the field, it speaks volumes. So it's Bo Nix. Dan Lanning said it after the game. It's Bo Nix. Look, that team in Oregon can still win the Pac-12. I mean, who in the world? Who in the world's the favorite in the Pac-12? USC did what they were supposed to yesterday. They didn't lose to food. In fact, they put food in a blender. They beat Rice by half a million. Uh, Utah lost competitively. Oregon did what they did in Atlanta. I don't know who the favorite is out in the Pac-12. Uh, it's going to tell me a lot. <laughs> How they look against Eastern Washington Saturday, though, you know, because Oregon got badly outcoached yesterday, in case anyone didn't notice. And their secondary had issues, too. And Eastern Washington of the FCS variety is not exactly going to take it easy on them in the passing game either. So let's keep an eye on that. Uh, Georgia, really, really good team. That's about as far as I'm willing to go for any team, Georgia or otherwise, after one week. We were in Fayetteville yesterday. Kickoff rapidly approaching for FSU and LSU. I've got my eye on it. Don't worry. I'm going to watch it along with you guys. We were in Fayetteville yesterday. Had the time of our lives. I got there one day early because we didn't have a Thursday show, so I got there Thursday. I will not be able to do that this week because we were back to normal schedule this week, by the way. The Every Given Saturday Tour, Fayetteville, Arkansas for Cincinnati, Arkansas, week one. Where are we going this week? There is a marquee game. We've had it circled for months. This one, not hard to figure out. We're headed to Austin, Texas for Alabama versus Texas. Why am I smiling so big? Well, I mean, we get to see two big brands play against each other, but also, what time is kickoff? It's big noon time. Now, I regularly get in trouble for praising Fox since I'm a CBS employee, but the heart, the heart wants what it wants. And I'm full Selena Gomez mode on this. I love big noon kickoff. And I love it because there's about a 6.30 flight out of Austin back to Nashville Saturday night, so I may be back here to watch the late games. I cannot wait to get here because I know it may surprise some people out there. I have not been to a game at Texas either. And I just look at the hospitality that we just got at Arkansas, and I think if we get a fraction of that at Texas, along with the fact that we've got Saban versus Sark, we got Bama on the road, I think we're going to have a really, really fun week. And also, look, it's not going to be 115 degrees like people feared a few months ago when they were looking at the schedules. 
mid-80s, best I can do for you. Chance of rain, mid-80s, but going to be a fun time. So a lot of you in Austin and the surrounding area, looking forward to seeing you guys. Uh, looking forward to previewing this game a little bit later in the week. The Every Given Saturday Tour, it really starts to take shape after about the first month because then huge consequences on the line every week. See, everyone, everyone's record is pretty much unblemished still. But then you get some blemishes, and then, I mean, already this year, we've had some twists and turns in our future scheduling, even though I haven't shared it with you guys. So we're headed to Austin with the Every Given Saturday Tour for the first time ever. Last time I was in Texas, famously, I ended up driving a 16-seater van because they were out of the car I rented, and that was going to a Texas A&M game. So we're hoping for better luck. I'll Uber if I have to. I don't care. But I'm not driving that van around again uh, because, I mean, I had people walking up asking for lollipops. I don't want to live that world again. That's not me. That's not what I'm cut out for. So I appreciate you guys. If you're watching live, reminder, all I need from you. If you're listening on podcast, reminder, all I need from you, and this is critically important, subscribe helps us mightily, and it doesn't cost you a penny. And if you're on YouTube, like the video. I said it very slow. I know everyone heard that. That's it. We appreciate you guys being tuned in. Tuesday night, we're back. Thursday night, we're back. Going to Austin Friday. Sunday night, we're back. Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. Every week, 8 Eastern, 7 Central, unlike tonight. We had to start early tonight. So um, we're just getting started. It's going to be a great year. Thank you so much. For Direct Column, Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Bate. Have yourselves a great rest of your evening. Let's go watch FSU and LSU. God bless. Now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.